last song to sing before I come up here. After 33 years of college ministry, I think that still says it all. It's all about resting and loving the Lord. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, maybe you've seen my picture uh, sometimes up here as an, um, let me get it right, outreach partner, right? That's what I am, an outreach partner of your church. My name is Jim Lehman, and I'm from Quarryville. This is my home, you know, Solanco High School in Millersville University. I'm as local as they come. Well, maybe if my name was spelled differently, but I'm an L-A-Y-M-A-N layman, so maybe I'm not exactly the same. But uh, I love returning to Lancaster County. Last night I spent the night uh, on my mom and dad's floor on an airbed because my we moved my parents uh, from my childhood home into the Quarryville Presbyterian Retirement Center, and they're in a little apartment, and I'm uh, still getting used to that idea, coming home to the retirement center to visit them. But uh, it's a privilege to be with you and a chance to preach. I am incomplete this morning. My wife, Helen, is not here. She's back in Boston. When we negotiated this date, uh, we realized we were going to have difficulty coming together. She was running a training program yesterday for some of our high school outreach staff in the greater Boston area that she was committed to doing. And since I was out of the house, she decided to have a women's sleepover last night. So there were, we were, our house was invaded by a bunch of uh, Chinese graduate students uh, and undergrads, and I'm sure they had a great time, and I'm glad I wasn't there <laughs> to be part of it as the only guy in the house. Even the, the cat is a girl, so the cat could stay, but one of my sons was kicked out to spend the night with friends. But that's a little bit of what we do in our uh, ministry these days with crew, with Bridges International. I brought a Bridges International banner standing in the back. That's the division of crew that we work with uh, that reaches out to, to international students in particular on campus. I just made a switch to work full-time with Bridges uh, this uh, year over the summer, actually. And I have just a little uh, propaganda in the back if you want. There's a little uh, uh, newsletter about the Bridges ministry, and I think I have my business card. I didn't bring a lot of stuff, but uh, I, I um, will stay after the service, of course. I would love to meet some of you. For those of you who don't know me, I mean, I, I was a, a regular attender member of this church when I was a student at Millersville in the early 1980s. I know that's too long ago to even think about for some of you, but some of you were here with me. And uh, I love returning to this church because here is a place where I really deepened my walk with the Lord while I was a student involved in crew at the time at Millersville University. And I love the fact that we have an ongoing relationship with Grace Baptist, with, with your church. Just a couple more words about our work with uh, Bridges, and then I will be very happy to go to the text. Uh, we are so in love with our ministry with international students this fall. I have been on campus a little bit more than when I was a kind of a national director with crew in my past role. And so I found that at 55, I could still chase down freshmen in the dormitories and have spiritual conversations with them. In fact, international students actually respect my age a little bit more 
than American students, so it's, it's a, uh, a definite advantage at my part. But uh, we are loving the ministry, and I say we because my wife, while she has other responsibilities with our leadership development team in the Northeast, uh, Helen is also going on campus and now is leading a, uh, a, a, a discovery Bible study, which is for non-Christians with Chinese uh, grad students at Northeastern University, and she's just loving it as well. So we're really grateful for your prayers and support. As Joel mentioned, Boston is kind of an academic city. Uh, I eagerly was assigned to Boston to work at MIT with my BA from Millersville in hand. And, you know, that's, that's the way it is. And, and, uh, but we've stayed in Boston a long time, and we love ministering to students. Right now we're primarily working with international students at the, the two Boston schools that have the largest numbers of international students, Northeastern University and Boston University, which have uh, nine and 7,000-plus international students at each of those schools. So you can't walk across campus without seeing lots and lots of international students and scholars, both graduate students and, and those 18-year-old undergrads coming straight from China or straight from uh, other countries, Thailand, Taiwan, Europe, and coming for a four-year degree. And so what an opportunity we have. And also from countries like Saudi Arabia, 100,000 students being bankrolled by the royal family of Saudi Arabia to get education in the United States. So from one of the most closed, restrictive, anti-Christian countries in the world, they come right to us. And so we delight in the opportunity to engage them to love them, to care about them, to teach them about crazy American holidays and culture, and, uh, and also to bring the gospel to them. And have, we have wonderful opportunities to draw them into Bible study and to really learn about Jesus for the first time. And our goal is always to uh, win them to faith, build them in their faith, and then send them, many of them, back to their own countries as hopefully committed disciples and followers of Jesus Christ. So now I'd like to go on and look at the text with you this morning. So I'm going to, uh, I, I knew uh, from my communication with the church that you have a, a long-term uh, commitment to preaching and studying the book of Acts. And guess what? I've been studying the book of Acts as well this fall. So when I got to Acts chapter 12 a few weeks ago, I felt like the Lord had just stopped me uh, in my tracks and said, Jim, I have something here for you to really grow in and think about. And that was the concept of earnest prayer. So if you'll allow me, I'm going to read the passage that we're, I'm going to look at today with you. I'm reading from the ESV Bible, my personal Bible. Uh, Acts chapter 12, verse 1. After, about that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews... He proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries before the door 
were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord. And they went out and went along one street. And immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I'm sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. And when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported to Peter what was standing at the, that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it's his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. By, but motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. What an exciting story. What an incredible work of God to release Peter in this way. And Luke gives it to us blow by blow, moment by moment. Very exciting and thrilling. But what I want to look at in this passage is actually mostly verse 5. It's not the, you know, this mission impossible escape that the angel engineered, but it's what happened in advance of that. And it's verse 5. Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Aha! Is it interesting that Luke talks about this in Acts as earnest prayer? You know, um, Luke, the writer, Dr. Luke, the writer of Acts, also the writer of the Gospel, according to Luke, uh, doesn't use this this exact word to describe prayer anywhere else except one other place in those two books. Um, And uh, he's saying earnest or fervent prayer. I think the NIV uh, Bible in the pews says earnestly. The New American Standard uses the word fervent prayer. Uh, My ESV Bible says earnest as well. It means the same thing. But the other location where Luke uses this description of prayer, this extra emphasis is in Luke chapter 22. In Luke chapter 22, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he is praying. He is praying earnestly. It's it's the most earnest prayer in the whole Bible, perhaps, because Jesus is in agony, struggling in prayer, at the very moment knowing that he's about to be captured, he's about to go through with everything that was intended for him to suffer so that he could... He could pay the sins for our sins on the cross. He could be, fulfill his role as the Lamb of God, sacrificed for the world. And he was in agony as he prayed. 
as Luke 22 says, being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. He was praying very fervently, reads the NAS. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's earnest prayer. That's fervent prayer. That's real prayer. Nothing casual about it. Nothing flippant. Earnest prayer is imploring prayer. It's dependent. It's deep. It's stirring. It's heartfelt. It's brutally honest with God, even agonizing. And Luke tells us that that's the kind of prayer not just that Jesus was capable of, but that the church, the disciples, were entering into earnest prayer on behalf of Peter at this time in Acts 12. Why was their prayer so earnest? Well, I think this was an unprecedented moment for the church. You see, Peter had been in jail before. Acts chapter 5 talks about Peter being jailed and that an angel came and got him out of jail. Kind of similar, not with the blow-by-blow description that Luke gives here. But, um, but in this case, something else had happened. The beginning of the chapter, we hear that Herod, the king, this is not the same Herod that interviewed Jesus. That was Herod Antipas. This is Herod Agrippa, who was a later ruler who had consolidated power, and he was ruling most of Israel underneath the Romans. And in order to curry favor with the Jewish authorities, he thought, I'm going to take some of these Christians and I'm going to take care of them. And so he arrested James. James, not James, the son of Alphaeus, but James, the the brother of John, the son of Zebedee, the fisherman, my namesake, by the way, and, uh, and executed him. See, James didn't have a happy ending. He didn't get out of jail, miraculously. And for the first time, I think, the the, the church had experienced persecution. Stephen had died in Acts 7. Others had been harassed and jailed. But one of the apostles had actually been executed now. And so there was no sense of a guarantee that Peter was going to get out of jail again, too. In fact, there, there was perhaps every expectation that in the next day, where we find ourselves in Acts 12, as as, um, the Passover was ending, Peter was going to be executed just like James. And so the church, perhaps, was all the more fervent and earnest in praying for Peter's release and praying for God to work. Maybe, Maybe some of the prayers were just saying, let Peter die a glorious death honoring you, God. But maybe others said, could you get him out of jail again? You've done it before. Earnest prayer. We don't know exactly what it was like, but we know that it was serious, meaning business with God. Sometimes an external circumstance like that creates this need for the church to gather in prayer. You know, as we prayed earlier during the service, we all know what happened in Paris a couple of days ago. I mean... uh, yeah, I got the messages. I have friend, we have friends who were on vacation in Paris, and they said, we heard these gunshots. We didn't know what was going on. And, and others, you know, that we've learned about, our staff in Paris, how are they? You know, they're all okay. Um, different things that, that we've heard. And yet, um, probably more Christians in America and perhaps around the world are praying for France right now than maybe have for a long time. Praying for Paris, praying for the French people, praying, of course, over this horrible situation. But 
it's the kind of situation that calls us to say, oh, Lord, we need you to work. We need to pray. And as I have prayed for the French, I think, would this be an opportunity that you would bring, God, you would bring something good out of something terrible for these incredibly secularized French people to grasp and and to break open and, and hear and understand the gospel. So praying for our French brothers and sisters in Christ and uh, praying you know, for the, the, the 10 or more percent uh, Muslims in the country, I think it's even higher than that. Many of these people are thinking, we're in the middle. We're in the middle of these, uh, these terrorists and these French people, and they probably hate us. They probably distrust us because we're Muslims also. So what a hinge moment, perhaps, to pray, to pray for the nation of France and to pray for God's work in that place, that God would bring good out of evil. This was a situation that was evil in Acts 12, that the enemies of the church were rallying against it, and they were pressing in, killing its leaders, but God was there. So a couple more comments about earnest prayer. Earnest and fervent prayer was found here. It can, be, it can be caused and developed uh, because of external circumstances that press us in and give us reason to pray. I think many of us prayed really earnestly after 9-11 happened in our country. In uh, Living in Boston, we had our Boston Marathon bombing. And I tell you, that galvanized many of us to pray for our city in fresh ways as well. Um, but here we find earnest prayer being experienced by the church. And speaking of experience, I think earnest prayer also is often, it is often experienced prayer. It is what, how we learn to pray. We become more fervent in our ability to pray and connect with the Lord. Uh, sometimes in the book of Acts, we're tempted to see things happening very rapidly. Because Acts is kind of a rapid-fire history, partial history, of the expansion of the church. And we can sit down and read through the chapters of the book of Acts in a fairly short time. And, and we've gone over the span of years, years of activity, years of things happening. But you can kind of think it just happens like this so quickly and rapidly. And uh, sometimes that's how we view ministry. Like, wow, if God doesn't answer this prayer right away, we're just going to move on and do something else and go on to something else. And yet, um, earnest prayer is experienced prayer, uh, our ability to continue on in prayer, to persevere in prayer, to ask God for things, and to trust God for things not yet seen, not yet accomplished. I know uh, early in my ministry with Crew, uh, because we're such an activist outreach organization, a lot of times prayer would just kind of be this little paste on that we do with our outreaches. I uh, spent my first, a year after I had graduated from Millersville, I was helping lead a summer beach mission in Myrtle Beach. Uh, and we were just on the go all the time. We were constantly on the beach sharing the gospel. We were constantly doing team meetings by hotel poolsides at night where we would share the gospel and, and do crazy skits and entertain people and talk about Jesus. And we just went day after day, night after day like that. And we had lots of outreach and lots of activity and saw a response to the gospel. But 
we didn't have much of a prayer strategy. We would kind of pray on our way to the outreach. And I think, you know, God honored our outreach and, and he honors the word of God. But I think as time goes by, he's called me to understand, you know, I bet we would be more effective if we really prayed through this in advance. One of the challenges I face in international student ministry right now is um, I'm working with several other staff in Boston who work just with Bridges. And so we are doing international student ministry alongside our other staff who are ministering to Americans. We work together very well. And two of our staff working alongside me are Chinese nationals. They are women who came to Christ as graduate students in Boston and became Christians, grew in their faith, became interns with our ministry, and now they're working full-time with us as long as they have the visa status to stay in the United States. That will eventually probably run out unless they marry an American, and they'll probably go back to China. But they're continuing to grow, and so as a result, our ministry is very attractional to the many, many Chinese students in Boston because the Chinese say, oh, there's a Chinese person. That's a safe place for me to be. So we have lots of ministry opportunity with Chinese students. And that's great because Chinese are very open to the gospel right now. They come to America and they say, tell me about your Christian religion. And we say, we'd love to. And they're, they're, it's amazing how open and interested uh, they are at this time and place. But we're also really interested in reaching out to Muslim background students, like I mentioned before, Turkish students, Saudi Arabian students, students from that part of the world. And those students are a little more cautious. They're a little more reserved. They come as Muslims to America thinking, Americans will kind of look at me and think I'm a terrorist. But I'm really just a student trying to learn and I'd, I'd like to know about American culture, but I'm a little afraid. I'm afraid of Americans. And so it, it's a little bit more challenging to encounter and draw into a, a trusting and a safe relationship with those kinds of students. And so I've been convicted that we do not have a prayer strategy that we are living out to pray that God would open the doors with these students like we should. So in front of you, I'm being accountable to build that prayer strategy into our ministry, that God would open the doors to give us more access to, to those students and to journey with them that they might really understand the gospel, that they might really understand the Injil, as, the, as the, in Arabic they call the New Testament, and they might understand that Christ really was the Son of God and he really did die on the cross for their sins. And the lies that they've been told uh, forever and ever about Jesus are not true and that Jesus is this loving Savior. He's not a stern taskmaster God demanding that they pray a certain number of times a day, but he loves them. He died for them. Oh, that they would know that. So earnest prayer is experienced prayer. And uh, as some say, the book of Acts is about the expansion of the church. It's about the work of the Holy Spirit in the church but it's also about the prayer expansion of the church. The church moves forward on its knees in Acts and in all time. When I looked at the book of Acts, I realized prayer is all over Acts. Uh, in chapter 1, the apostles devoted themselves to prayer. They prayed to choose a replacement for Judas. In chapter 2, they devoted themselves to prayer at Pentecost. 
And that was, of course, a hinge moment where God was empowering them to learn how to pray, to really pray and connect with God. In the Garden of Gethsemane, our apostles fell asleep while Jesus prayed. In Acts, they weren't sleeping anymore. They were praying regularly. Uh, in 424, believers prayed for boldness and protection. In 6-6, they prayed over the deacons that were selected. In 7, Stephen prays as he's being stoned to death. He prays on behalf of his killers. In eight, chapter 8, there was prayer after the death of Stephen. In 8:15, Peter and John pray over the Samaritan believers. Wow, these Samaritans can become Christians too. We've got to pray about this, figure out what to do. In 9-11, Saul of Tarsus is blind and praying. Can you imagine what that prayer was like? I would imagine it was fervent, earnest prayer as, as Saul's world had been turned upside down and he knew now that he had been persecuting the Son of God. Chapter 10, prayers for Cornelius are from Cornelius are recognized by God. Chapter 10, Peter praying in Joppa on the rooftop. Uh, this was a church that was ready to pray earnestly. When the time and the need was great, they gathered and they did pray. As we said, this wasn't Peter's first time in prayer. And um, the church had a number of days, certainly, that Peter was imprisoned before his intended execution. And so we can expect that they were regularly and earnestly praying together. Whether they had a 24-hour prayer chain or whether they were just meeting whenever they could to pray together, the text tells us that many were gathered together at Mary's house and praying for Peter. Uh, they had confidence in God's power, confidence in God's ability to do whatever he would do for the sake of the gospel in the life of Peter whether he would allow him to die or whether he would release him. And of course, in this case, God effected a rather marvelous and tremendous and even comical release in some ways. Peter, get up. Peter, do this. Peter, do that. And out he goes. Uh, Peter didn't escape. He was just led by the angel of the Lord. He didn't even know that it was really true until he got outside the prison doors and he came to his senses. Um, Earnest prayer. Uh, sometimes uh, we Christians have a great test in prayer. James had been killed, and so the church was probably reeling from that. Wow, some of these evil things are really going to happen to us. Stephen had been killed too. Who's next? What's going to happen? When, um, when she heard about what happened in Paris, one of our brand new Christian friends um, Xu Ying, uh, a master's degree student in, um, event, in um, uh, project management at Northeastern University, text, texted my wife Helen immediately and said, how can I pray for this? See, she's not experienced in prayer. She's only been a Christian for a few weeks. But she knows that she wants to be a part of asking God to do something in a world like this. So... Uh, these opportunities draw us to prayer. They draw even the young and the new believers to believe we have to ask God to work. What would draw this church into more earnest prayer at this time and place? 
What is it that God might be calling you to pray most earnestly for? In the, there was a season in the 1980s when I participated in some international summer missions to Eastern Europe with some of my friends. Uh, we were working in the New England area with crew, with college ministry, and we took students with us. And, and uh, you know, it was the height of the Cold War, and we were praying fervently for the downfall of the communist regimes, the Soviet Union and the Eastern European countries. We were praying for the persecuted church. A lot of us prayed for the persecuted church in those countries. And we wanted to believe that God would change the circumstances. So I actually attended a number of all-night prayer meetings where we would pray for Eastern Europe. And we would actually pray all night. You know, we'd pray, we would sing, we'd pray some more, we would move around in small groups so everybody would stay awake. And we would have all-night prayer meetings. We were fervent to see God change that. And in 1989, when the Berlin Wall came down and when the largely bloodless revolutions happened in those countries, we knew that God had been part of it. We knew that God had worked. Even the news... The newscasters kind of saw that there was a spiritual element in some of these cases. We knew that the soldiers had decided to stop shooting the protesters in Romania. A number of years later, I was in Bucharest, and I was privileged to be training some of our workers in Eastern Europe. And I I was meeting with a guy who had been a, a, a conscripted Romanian soldier in 1989 because they had a universal draft in the country. So he was a soldier. He wanted to be a college student, and he was in a truck. He told me he was in a truck full of soldiers going to put down the student protests in Timisoara. And he was sitting in the truck with his fellow soldiers saying, are you going to shoot the students? I don't want to shoot the students. What are we going to do? What's going to happen if they give us the order to shoot the students? And then the truck turned around. They went back to the base. They were ordered to not interfere. And... uh, A little bit later, he became a believer through our college ministry and became one of our workers. And he said, we understood that that God had stopped the violence and allowed this revolution to take place. You see, earnest prayer on behalf of these people. Look, I'm not a prayer warrior. I already told you I'm a prayer struggler. I'm failing in, in leading prayer for these Middle Eastern students But uh, I believe in earnest prayer. Earnest prayer, in this case, is corporate. I believe it also can be individual. I pray very, more than for anyone else, I pray for my two college-age sons. I have a series of things that I pray for them. And those of you who are parents, you know what I mean. We're we're more motivated to pray pray for our children uh, than perhaps anything else. And uh, I can still be amazed when God answers prayer. This spring I prayed uh, resolutely five things for the life of my son Andrew, who's now a sophomore at Boston College. And uh, I, I was praying for God to intervene and really help him to grow spiritually a little bit more than he was growing. I was praying that God would open the door for him to do have a summer experience that would allow him to grow in his faith. I was praying for a number of things. And then He got interested in going on this summer mission with crew where he would work with other 
with high school children of crew staff like us in Colorado. And he went, and he had this fantastic experience. God met him, and he grew in his faith, and he got more and more excited. And, you know, at Boston College, there's not a lot of evangelical Christians. There's a lot of nominal Roman Catholic students. It's a very interesting school. But my son is, is is helping lead a Bible study this year. And he's inviting students to church. And uh, he was mentored in the summer by these great uh, staff couple that I couldn't have picked better people to take care of my son. I was so grateful to God for that. So there were four answered prayers that were just so um, personal and, and specific. And there was one prayer I was still praying for Andrew. And I said, God, I still want to believe you. Could, could he as a sophomore become a resident assistant? To become a resident assistant at a sophomore at Boston College is kind of a big deal, but it was a big deal for us because he would have free room and board, and BC is a very uh, expensive school to attend, and uh, we're uh, we're outreach partners, so we don't have a lot of money, and uh, and so I, I was we were in Colorado ourselves with Andrew uh, attending this big staff conference for crew staff. And I was sitting one night with two of my best friends in the ministry, and we were just hanging out after the program. And I got a call from Andrew, and he said, Dad, I just got offered the RA position, and I'm going to be back in my freshman dorm, and I'm going to be a resident assistant alongside my best friend on campus. And I just said, Yes! And I shouted and yelled, and and, uh, my friends were like, What's going on? And I said, God answers prayer. And they kind of looked at me like, you know, of course he does. (laughs) That's what we do, Jim. But I was so excited that God had chosen benevolently to just lead me through this time of prayer and to show me the answers on behalf of my son. In this case, the fervent uh, prayer was corporate, and of course it was beseeching on behalf of Peter. And when, uh, when the result came... There was disbelief, and there was amazement. Peter came, and Rhoda, the servant girl, recognized him, recognized his voice, and went and told the people, Peter's here, and they didn't believe her. Maybe they didn't believe her because she was just a servant girl, but Rhoda was part of this church. She knew who Peter was. She knew, she, he probably knew who she was. And she was part of this fellowship. She was probably part of the prayer meeting, but she had to go answer the door. And so even when we pray earnestly, sometimes we don't believe. We don't believe that God's really going to answer. or We don't believe at the moment that he really does answer. It's too good to be true. And then when Peter came to them, they were amazed. They were amazed that he was there because they knew he was guarded by four squads of soldiers and he was chained to his guards. But God says, so what? So what? And he got Peter out. I I love the fact that I'm amazed at God, but I kind of wish I was a little less amazed that he answers prayer, that I would kind of expect it a little bit more, that I would pray expectantly. The last thing I want to say about earnest prayer as we close our time um, is that earnest prayer is really for everybody. An interesting thing that I noticed in this passage is that everybody in the church was, was many people in the church were involved in this prayer. 
um, from the church leaders and elders to the servant girl. Uh, from maybe the, the most experienced believers who had actually walked with Jesus in his ministry to those who were probably new Christians being added to the church. And earnest prayers for everyone because the young believers learn how to pray earnestly at the side of the older believers. Um, two weeks ago, I asked a student named Chris. He's an exchange student from Spain at Boston University just for the semester. I asked him to close a Bible study with guys in prayer. And he looked at me and he said, okay. And he prayed this really beautiful prayer to God. And that was significant because, see, Chris had never prayed out loud in front of other people before. He's a young, young Christian. And he, and, and, but it was a step of great faith for him. And afterwards he said, I can do that. I can express myself to God in prayer like this. Uh, and earnest prayer is learned at the side of the experienced prayers. So let's pray together by all means. Well, as we're at the end of the time, I want to thank you because I believe that you may pray earnestly for us in our ministry in Boston. And we're really grateful for that. We're grateful for your support as outreach partners, and we're grateful for your prayers. Some of you know that both of our sons are special needs students. One has a, our son Andrew has a special, very rare medical condition that affects his lungs. And he needs to do therapy pretty much every day. Our other son, Andrew, uh, Jonathan, is an Asperger's student who really struggles with school and struggles with meeting people and challenges. And we feel like for years and years, our sons are two of the luckiest boys in the world because there are hundreds, maybe more, people who pray for them on a regular basis because of our ministry. And uh, they are so lucky and fortunate to have your prayers. And so are we. Let me close in prayer as I exit, and then uh, we'll conclude the service accordingly. Dear God, thank you for the earnest prayer we find in Acts chapter 12. Thank you that you released Peter because you had more work for him to do, and, uh, and you gave him that extra time to lead uh, others to Christ, to grow the ministry, to write a couple of letters we have in our New Testament. And thank you for uh, how you taught your people to pray in a crisis situation. Oh, would we be like them that we would pray earnestly in Jesus' name. Amen.